The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. All right, there's little doubt in my mind um, that we're at a point in the life of our church that will require a level of devotion uh, to Jesus Christ, maybe, maybe that we've not experienced before. The demands on us are going to be higher uh, than ever before in our short history. And I believe a great future awaits us, uh, but what is going to be needed from each one of us if we're to fully experience the great future that's ahead of us, what's going to be required of every one of us is radical devotion to Jesus Christ and to his cause. Radical devotion. Whatever devotion you've had to this point, if you look at it, and you would say, it's devotion, I'm devoted, I'm part of it. Now we're qualifying that and say, we're going to amp that up to the level of radical, noticeable, causing change in my life. Something more extraordinary than what I've been experiencing to date. That's really what we're talking about as we think about the journey that's ahead of us. And in our passage today, we're going to look at the life of, a, the life of a, a woman named Ruth who could not have known, could not have known about the great future that lay ahead of her. As she stood at a crossroads, as she faced a difficult decision at a very desperate time of her life, she couldn't have known the great things that God had for her if she made the right decision to be radically devoted to God. And we're going to look at her initial decision and her declaration to follow him. And when we do, we're going to find plenty of challenge to press into our own lives and determine whether or not as a true follower of Jesus Christ, we will be radically devoted to him in all of the same ways that she was. And so let me read the text for us, and then we'll start working through this. This is Ruth uh, chapter one. We're gonna work through the first 18 verses, but I would strongly encourage you to kind of work through the rest, just the last uh, three chapters, really, um, this afternoon or tomorrow uh, during your time with the Lord. So Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilian died. So the, women, the woman was left without her sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. 
So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lift up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will, I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. We want to get into these five statements that Ruth makes that really show us this radical devotion that was on her heart. I want to review that account that we just read there. Elimelech and his wife Naomi make the trip and it wasn't really a normal thing for a Jew to leave Israel and go and live in a foreign land. Moab wasn't exactly friendly toward the Jews and in time, Elimelech dies, leaving a Naomi widowed, and her two sons marry these two foreign women, these two Moabite women, and then the two sons die, and they never have children during that, all that period of time. So in essence, what you have by the end, or the end of kind of the tragic part of the story are these three widows with no children, and the family line of Elimelech now um, uh, threatened to be extinct. The crisis seen as tragedy stalked this family. And Naomi makes the very difficult decision to return to Israel. Initially, it kind of looks like the two daughters are going to go with her. But really, there's no hope in that. And Naomi comes to herself and says, look, it's just going to be so much easier for you if you stay here among your own people. And Orpah, was it Oprah or Oprah? Which one was it? Orpah. She listens to her mother-in-law and she, she goes back, but Ruth, Ruth, I love this in verse 14. Do you see it there? Ruth clung to her. She, she, she clung to her. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, even in her physical posture, she's demonstrating a level of devotion this isn't just a commitment with her mouth. She's not just standing beside her. She's clinging to her mother-in-law. I'm not going anywhere, and you're not going anywhere without me. Ruth made the decision at this crossroad to be radically committed 
to Naomi, but not just to Naomi, to the God of Naomi. And in a sense, as we see all of this, and we know Ruth is saying it to her mother-in-law, but what she's seen in her mother-in-law is something about God. She's seen the Lord in her, and she's drawn to the Lord through her mother-in-law. And so in a very real sense, when we see Ruth making her pledge to Naomi, it's really Ruth's pledge to, God, to the God of Naomi. And in that sense, we find a challenge for ourselves. And the question really is, can you make the pledge that she made? As a true follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be radically devoted to him. And how that plays out is what we see in the text. I'm radically devoted, first of all, to the purpose that God has for me. Where you go, I'm going to go. Ruth was driven to this by the crushing circumstances that she was facing in her life, what had happened to her family. And we've rehearsed this theology many times, and I don't want us ever to mistake what's going on here. This isn't just about fate. This isn't just about, oh, you know, life's been very hard on me. I've, I've taken what life, you've heard these expressions, I've taken what life has thrown at me. And we kind of make it this neutral, this force, this thing that's happening, and we don't attribute the difficulties in our lives to the Lord actually orchestrating these things for our good. And make no mistake that God's purpose in this is to draw these women back to Israel and to do something awesome with them. Listen, God's behind the entire thing. Ruth was driven to this, and it was God's doing. God's going in a certain direction. God's fulfilling his will. God has his purposes in this world, and you and I fit into that somehow. He causes events to happen in your life to fulfill his will. That's how he gets my attention and your attention. That's how he actually brings us to faith in our, in our Savior, pushing us to the place where we have no choice but to consider him. And so if you're not a follower of Christ and you're sitting here today and you're wondering about all of this and you have a crisis in your life and it's knocked you down to the ground and you don't know how you're going to figure it out, that's God's clarion call to you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. He's using the circumstance in your life to draw you into a relationship with him. And so therefore, it's not really about the circumstance and fixing that so much as it is about getting you into a relationship with him. And if you're a follower of Christ here already and the circumstances are crushing and you're going through something again that's awful, then, then it's about building your faith. It's about increasing your endurance. It's about giving you some kind of an experience so that you can benefit uh, others around you. God wants to bring you from where you are to someplace else and to grow you in that. He wants to get your attention. He wants you to follow him, to pledge your life to him, to grow in him, no matter what it costs you. So Ruth says to Naomi, verse 16, notice it here, do not urge me to leave you 
or to return from following you. Now this is the, if we're, if we're getting any sense of Ruth's faith, knowing all that this is gonna require of her to, to leave Moab and go to Israel with Naomi, this is the first sense that Ruth is taking steps towards God. She may have believed in God before this, maybe she did when she married um, one of uh, Naomi's sons, but this is the first indication that there's something happening inside of, of Ruth. Ruth is aligning herself, in fact, to Naomi's purpose. That's what we're talking about here. Naomi's mission. Naomi has, has made the statement, I'm going back to Israel. I'm not staying in Moab any longer. There's, there's certainly a case to be made for the fact that they should have never gone to Moab in the first place. And Naomi is seeing that now and, and, and going with all the tragedy that's happened in my life, I need to get back to where I should be with God's people. And Naomi, that's her mission. That's her purpose. As she considers radical devotion in her life, she's got to get back. And Ruth is aligning herself to Naomi's purpose and mission. By saying, notice the first phrase of this declaration, where you go, I'll go. Ruth's new purpose is to be part of Israel with all that that's going to require of her. Now, I wonder if you're prepared for that level of devotion to Christ. Radical devotion to Jesus Christ is always about going wherever he says to go wherever he leads, doing whatever he says to do, obeying him without question. If we think about the most basic sense and, and, and not to think too specifically about it for any of us in our circumstances, but in the most basic sense of this, if you're wondering what, what your purpose in life is, I, I just want to tell all of you right now, it's the same for all of us that every one of us would glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, period. The mission Jesus Christ left us on this earth was to, and, and, and we'll use the same language because Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I'm gonna go. And Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19, go, very similar words, go and go. Go, and, but here's the command now, here's the command, make disciples. So if you're trying to figure out what your purpose in life it is, I'm going to tell you right now, it's to make disciples and please God in doing it. In other words, go out and find people who don't yet know Jesus and introduce them to him. Find people who are at that crossroad themselves, people who have a crisis in their life and introduce them to Jesus Christ. We have these really convenient cards, these come and see cards. They're on the back table. They're at Connections. You can pick them up and have one in your purse or your wallet. Have those available in your car. And when you're talking to someone, you pull that out. And you invite them to church. Get them to here to see this. And, and, and the reason why we find that to be so effective evangelistically is because when the church is, is the kind of people that God intends for them to be, worshiping with passion, getting God's word open and really pressing it in in a way that makes sense and is applicable to our lives and then loving one another in genuine ways. Listen, when people come and don't have this thing and they see it working like it works here, they're drawn to it. What is it you people have that I don't have? I was at a restaurant this week, 
and uh, enjoying a meal, and I had one of those servers, you know, the kind of server who doesn't mind leaning against the table beside you and having a conversation with you, you know, that kind, while your meal gets cold. <laughs> Anyways, this, this young lady comes up, and, and in the course of, I'm telling you, 30 seconds, this almost never happens to me, but in the course of 30 seconds, she was unloading her life and told me she hadn't drank any alcohol in two weeks, and that was a big deal to her. I don't know what else was going on in her life, though she did tell me some details. And, 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 and I would have agreed with her that it was a good thing that she hadn't drank in the last two weeks. And, and so we start to talk about this and then um, she, she came back to the table and not that this is a thing at all, but for me, my choice is that I haven't had anything to drink since I was 16. And, um, and so I just kind of mentioned that to her and I told her uh, that I was a pastor of a church and I didn't have one of the come and see cards, so I gave her my business card. I just said, hey, you should check out our church sometime. That's as easy as that, by the way. I didn't share the gospel with her, but I invited her to come here. And because what, you see, when a server tells you she hasn't drank for two weeks and that she's on some kind of journey to figure herself out, that's like the Lord just, he, he put the tee in the ground. He put the ball on the tee and he handed the golf club to me. <laughs> he told me how to take my stance and he said, all I had to do was swing, right? And when the Lord tees it up for you like that, you better swing at the ball. And... Um, I don't know if we'll ever see her, but I was faithful in the part that I needed to be faithful in. And we can all do that. There's, not, there's nothing there that anybody here can't do. And in fact, uh, Terry and Linda are sitting right here. Uh, Terry's the chair of our elders. And, um, and uh, last week, a week and a half ago, they invited someone that they know um, who's kind of having a crisis in her life a little bit and invited them to come here. And last weekend, she came here to a service. And uh, she's been a churchgoer all her life. It's been a big part of her life, in fact. And she came here last week and she heard uh, things that she had never heard before. She saw things she'd never seen before. And on Wednesday, all by herself, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And she called and told Terry and Linda. I'm telling you, son, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. That's what our mission is. That's what our purpose is. And when we say to the Lord, I'm gonna go where you go, the place where the Lord is going is introducing more people to Jesus. And you gotta be on that program if you're gonna be a true follower of Jesus Christ who's radically devoted to him. All right, notice this next, that it's also about the place that God has put me. Where you lodge, I will lodge. When Ruth says this, as she's talking, using the word lodge, she's talking now about, because they've made a decision to go to Israel. So now it's really about town, village, even house, neighborhood. It's all about that. She's being pretty precise about where they're going to live. Once they're in Israel, that accomplishes the big picture part of it. I'm going to be in God's will. Uh, but now, uh, where specifically? And they'd be heading back to a little town called Bethlehem. Now what else? There was some cool stuff that happened in Bethlehem. You remember? What was the other thing that happened there? I can't remember. Oh, Jesus was born there, right. So that was a big deal. Even before that, about 1,100 years before that, in the area around Bethlehem, something else happened because there was a certain family that lived there. Um, do you remember 1,100 years before Jesus was born, what happened in and around Bethlehem? Sorry, King David. King David was anointed there. Jesse's family lived in that area. They were shepherds. David was out in the fields. All the brothers were tested. None of them passed the test. And Samuel came, the prophet, and he anointed David when he saw David and anointed him. And God said, this is going to be the next king of Israel. So that was pretty significant, wouldn't you say? It was pretty significant as well. Some cool stuff happened in Bethlehem. We're going to come back to that toward the end. But it was very important that Naomi end up back in this town. 
the specific place that God had for her. And each of us really needs to be persuaded that we're in the very place where God wants us. You can be in a lot of different places and be in the center of God's will. And that can change in the course of your life. But wherever you are right now, you want to be absolutely convinced this is the place. This is the country I should be in. This is the city I should be living in. This is the neighborhood where I should be. This is the church that I should be a part of. This is the small group I should be in. You need, it needs to be such a peace inside of you that I'm in the right place. And for Cheryl and I, I could tell a little bit of our story, and I'm sure you've heard uh, bits and pieces of this over the years, but we served very happily for quite a number of years down at Faith Baptist Church in St. Thomas, just south of London. And I was on pastoral team there for eight years. Cheryl and I were very invested in that church. We met in that church. We uh, got married through the ministry of that church. All of our children were born in St. Thomas. They were all uh, dedicated to the Lord at that place. We had lots of good friends. We were very, very invested in that place and super convinced that that was the place for us and fully prepared to stay there a lifetime and serve if that's what God had for us. And then the phone rang on December the 13th, 2000, just before Christmas. And on the phone was Pastor James McDonald. And in the space of 15 minutes, our entire life was screwed up. <laughs> I had said I would never go to a place that had more snow than St. Thomas. <laughs> and they talked about Barry in Ontario and a group of 30 people that were up here that needed a pastor and we were, there was a church of 600 that we were in that was rocking in every way and heading into a building program and so exciting and God was doing miracles every single week. 30 people at a community center in Barrie with 6,000 bucks in the bank. And somehow that seemed more attractive to us. We'd never been in Barrie. We came here and the day we came here was a blinding snowstorm. I mean, south of the Innisfield Beach Road, it was perfect. <laughs> And then north, it was just this blinding blizzard and we drove on Lakeshore Drive and couldn't see the lake and it was a disaster in every way and we drove up Bayfield Street and we talked to a few people in the midst of this blinding snowstorm and they all seemed pretty excited to live here in Barrie. It's like the Lord put everybody in front of us that thought this was the most awesome place on earth to live. <laughs> and we drove away that day. In fact, it wasn't even that day. That was just confirming what we knew because on the morning I got the phone call, I went into the auditorium and Cheryl was, was there decorating for Christmas and I pulled her out and I said, we gotta go for lunch right now. And we were walking across the parking lot and I was three steps ahead of her because I'm always three steps ahead of her because she saunters. <laughs> she just, she saunters, she does. And so, uh, you remember this? And I, and I turned and I said to her, we got a call. Now, for most people, if you say, we got a call, you're thinking, we got a call. We got a call on the phone. And it was a call on the phone, but, but pastoral code is, we got a call. And she knew right away what I meant. And we went to the bistro and we talked about it. And I'm telling you, without a doubt, we knew we were going. We hadn't met anybody in Barrie. We'd never been in the city. We hadn't had any interviews. We hadn't gone through any of the process yet. But we knew, we knew, we knew, we knew we were going. That our days in St. Thomas were done. You got to know that you're in the right place. That where you lodge, Lord, where you want me to lodge, where you want me to stay, the specific place, that's the place for me. If we're going to infer anything from all of this, 
It's about the specific calling on your life. Where should you be serving? What should you be doing with your life? If the macro is make disciples, then what's the micro for you? I just love teaching children. Then get into Harvest Kids, get into Awana, and pour your lives into those who are so eager to receive the Word of God. If you love teenagers and want to help them through the choppy waters of figuring out what kind of person they are, then get involved in our youth ministry or join our young adults ministry. If you're about helping others in your peer group, then become small group hosts or apprentice or leaders. Facilitate the teaching of God's word. Care for one another in the context of small group. If you have a passion for worship, hence your musical. <laughs> right, JD? Right, JD? If you have no rhythm and you can't sing and you don't know how to play an instrument, I don't care how passionate you are, you're not getting on. <laughs> passion plus gifts. Passion plus gifts. Get that right. And do it. Find the place. Pour yourself in and serve. Is it in teaching or leadership or some behind the scenes? I just like to work in obscurity role. We love you when you do that. Is it as a pastor? Is God calling you to a director role, to some kind of vocational ministry position? And you're just, you're just resisting that? Radical devotion means you're using your gifts and your talents. You're expanding your capacity. I don't have the time. Find the time. I don't know how I could fit serving in. Fit it in. Otherwise, you cannot claim the title of radically devoted to Jesus Christ. And I believe that if you say yes to God, he'll create the capacity in your life. I believe it. He'll expand your reach. He'll expand your capacity if you offer to spend your time and resources for him in the best place possible for you for the maximum benefit of the glory of God. The place God has put me. Where you lodge, I'm gonna lodge. And the declaration goes on, the third part of the statement is all about the people God has given to me. Ruth says to Naomi, your people shall be my people. Now it's really no small thing for Ruth to make this pledge Ruth is from Moab. The, Moab and Israel just don't get along. They're neighbors, but they don't get along. And Ruth is making the decision now to emigrate to a new country and to be part of the people there at a time when it's not easy to do that. We have lots of people in our church. One of our other elders, Clem, is over here to my left, and Clem and Bimpy came here. Uh, from Nigeria, they emigrated here, and I've talked to Clem enough about this to know that immigration is not an easy thing. And for those of us who are uh, native-born Canadians, and we've been here all our life, and this is our culture, and we all feel so super comfortable in this, please understand that those that are coming from other countries don't feel that at all. And that it is a rough ride entering into a new country. If you're reading anything about the Syrian refugees, it's all over the news right now, and how they're trying to integrate into Canadian society, it's not an easy thing. It's exceedingly difficult. And whatever we can do to kind of smooth that out, because we have opened the doors of our country, and we've said to others, you're welcome to come here, so let's make them welcome when they come. 
If there's neighbors of yours who are from other countries, welcome them. And please understand, as hard as it is for someone to emigrate from another country to Canada right now, it's a simple process next to what Ruth had to go through. That the welcoming here is overwhelming compared to what Ruth was going to face as a Moabite living in Israel. So this is no small decision that she's making. From now on, she's not going to be from Moab. She's going to ditch that identity and she's going to become part of Israel. She's going to become a convert to Judaism. And Israel here, don't miss it, represents the people of God. This is Naomi's people, and she's going to identify with them. The church today represents the people of God. And, and, and let's understand that there's only one people of God. There's only ever been one people of God. All those who believed in the hope of Messiah before Jesus came who were part of Israel, and all of those who know him to be Jesus Christ, are all part of the same body, the same people of God, one people of God. And Ruth was becoming part of that declaring her full devotion to the people of God. And it is perfectly appropriate to not only pledge ourselves to Jesus Christ, but in fact, not only appropriate, but required of us, that when we pledge ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, we pledge ourselves to the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're pledging ourselves to each other that we are bound together in this body of Christ, that we are indeed one family. You need to know that when Christ enters your life, that at the moment of salvation that you are adopted into his family and he becomes your father, you become sons and daughters of the king. Which means that you and I are brothers and sisters together in this family. And, and this family, in the right sense of this, becomes more important to us than even, listen to me, than even our earthly blood family. Now, lest I be misquoted or misunderstood, I need to say this. God esteems marriage and you need to be for your spouse, no doubt. God esteems parenting and if you've parented children, if you've had children, then you need to be pouring yourself into their life and into the life of the next generation as grandparents. That all of that is so important that we are bound together and there are injunctions in the scripture that tell us about earthly family and how we ought to treat one another and love one another and be devoted to one another in the context of those families. Marriage is important. Parenting is important. Family is important. But at the end of the day, Jesus made it very clear that the more important family, because the one, this is the one that goes on into eternity, is our spiritual family. It's the family that's bound together through Jesus Christ. And so we rightly say to one another, your people, my people, we are the same one people of God. We're going to spend eternity together. We have something in common that those without Christ, do not have and do not understand. We had the pleasure of announcing these 17 new members prior to the message, and this is not an insignificant thing, not at all. It's an important declaration of intent concerning the people of God. 
One of the things that we emphasize in our small group ministry, if you're part of a small group, you were asked to sign a small group covenant to be part of that. And we've articulated some things there that we kind of uh, have all of these things um, under the title of uncommon community, the thing that we're trying to build here at Harvest. We'll just throw these up on the screen. This constitutes a series all on its own and part of our training. But in uncommon community, this is the kind of thing we have going on with one another because we're the one people of God, we're a family, that we love one another, that we forgive one another, that we serve one another, that we submit to one another, that we encourage one another, and that, listen, we belong to one another. We're devoted to one another. This is us saying, God, your people, those are my people, and I'm gonna be radically devoted to your people. How you doing? Hanging in there? Couple more? You got a couple more in you? All right, here we go. Radical devotion is also about the praise that God desires from me. Your God, my God, Ruth says. And worship and praise features pretty prominently in our DNA, being here together and worshiping God uh, for a lot of us, hopefully for all of us, is the highlight of the week right here. That everything else about the week was about getting back here. And when this ends, we're going to get through this next week. And hopefully on Monday and Tuesday and every day of the week, we're going to be thinking, I can't wait until the weekend. We can be back together. Having Saturday church, people so fired up about having an option. Now on Sundays when I have to miss, I can come Saturdays. And just another opportunity to worship the Lord. And we elevate that so highly here. It's one of our four pillars upon which this church was founded. We say um, unashamed adoration, lifting high the name of Jesus Christ in worship. And up until this point, with all the declarations that Ruth has made, we might be tempted into thinking that she's just emigrating. That it's just about Naomi and, and nothing more. That she's not truly becoming a Yahweh worshiper, but she clears all of that up with this one simple phrase, these four words when she says to Naomi, your God, my God. That's the moment now. She's been on a little bit of a journey through this declaration, but this is the moment where she declares her intent to become a follower of of Yahweh, to declare her faith in Yahweh. And that's where the worship starts. When we describe a disciple here at Harvest, we use three W words to describe that, that a, a disciple of Christ um, worships Christ, walks with Christ, and works for Christ. A fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ is going to do those three things. And it starts with that worship of Christ. And the worship of Christ starts with a decision to become a worshiper of Christ. It's that initial decision to turn your life over to him. To declare your intent to follow him. And that happens when you get to the place that you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That he came to this earth taking on human form. Lived among us. Taught us. Showed us the way. He lived a perfect life, completely sinless. He went to the cross for us, substituting his perfect life for our sinful life, taking all of the sin of the world upon him and dying on that cross as a sacrifice. 
He was buried and on the third day was raised to new life, defeating the grave, defeating death and defeating sin so that you and I could have life. And when you believe that and when you confess that, you become a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And not in the sense that it's all about just this one gathering a week, but in the sense that 24-7, every minute of every day, your life is devoted to him in worship. That everything that I do attributes worth to, to our God. And do you have that going on in your life? Is your life radically devoted to him in that way? Is this coming together? The devoted, radically devoted follower of Christ has a purpose, has a place, has a people, has praise uh, operating in their lives. And, and then this, a true follower of Jesus Christ is radically devoted to the perseverance God requires. Where you die, I will die. Of all the things that God affirms in us, and there are many, as I've been thinking about it and the journey that God has had me on over the past several years, it's just this understanding that the thing that God esteems is this perseverance, this enduring spirit that we're to have. Jesus himself said in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, ultimately, as I look out, out on this crowd, I know a lot of you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, but I don't truly know if you're saved until you're standing there with me on the last day. Not that I think I'm anything, but I think as individuals, God knows who's really saved, and I think that we know because we have an assurance ourselves that we're saved, so I have a very strong assurance that I am a child of God, so I, I, I know I'm gonna be there. But I don't know about any of you, but the way I'm gonna know about you is when we're all standing there at the end. We're gonna look around and, hey, you made it! I know, you too! I'm so surprised. <laughs> we endured to the end. We made it. We persevered through it all. And please understand, it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of our efforts. It's not because of any works that we performed. We didn't earn our salvation in any respect. The perseverance is merely the evidence that our faith was enough, that it carried us through every circumstance, that we put our reliance in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. That's why we're standing on the last day. The enduring proves the reality of our faith and devotion. That no matter what happened to you, no matter what you faced, no matter how hard it got, you didn't waver. You took God you took what God sent your way and you persevered through it all that when you got knocked down, you got back up again in the power of God's Holy Spirit and you kept walking faithfully with him. Ruth is pledging her life here in this no matter what kind of way, this commitment that's over the top, radical devotion. Where you die, she says, I will die. And there will I be buried. I want you to know, Naomi, I'm all in. 
There's, there's nothing that's gonna happen when we get to Bethlehem. There's nothing that's gonna happen in Israel that's gonna cause me to renounce my new Israeli citizenship and go back to Moab. I'm never going back there. You're gonna die here, I'm gonna die here. You're gonna be buried here, I'm gonna be buried right beside you. That's how committed I am to this. And she even went so far as to make a vow before God that invoked his judgment on her if she should bail on her commitment. Look at the latter part of verse 17. She says, may the Lord also, or may the Lord do so uh, to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. In other words, if I start to waver in this, if I make a different decision, if I start, if I take one step back to Moab, I'm praying the Lord strikes me down with lightning or opens up the ground and swallows me whole. I'm in. I'm devoted. I'm radically devoted to this. The problem we have is this level of commitment is so rare today. Wouldn't you agree? I, mean, I started to read some studies and look at some stuff. I don't think we really need that to understand that people throw away marriages and vows don't mean a thing. The commitment to jobs, careers, companies, this is not there anymore. And people will have multiple careers in a lifetime. The number is actually pretty astounding. How many different jobs the average person will have. I'm not saying it's the fault of the employees. I think it's just as much a fault of the companies. There's no loyalty back and forth anymore. And so that's why we kind of move from place to place and no one's settled ever and no one's committed to anything. No one's committed to churches. I say no one. It's hard to find. People move from place to place and church to church. It gets hard in one place. We'll go to another. There's lots of choices in town. We don't knuckle under. We don't make it through the difficult times. We don't persevere in it. No, no commitment. What about friendships? I've been dropped. Just dropped. Cheryl and I know the pain of that. You ever been dropped by someone? Just they're just not your friends anymore? When did that start? We're just not committed to anything. And so we, we have this cultural context that we live in where we, we're, we're so fleeting in our commitments. And then we read something like this and we don't even have a frame of reference. We can't even understand that you might be committed to something to this level where you would literally say to God, if I make any other decision, strike me dead on the spot. Ruth made the commitment because it, in every way, with every word she was spoken, every ounce of her being, she was radically devoted to the God of Israel. Naomi hears what Ruth is saying and Ruth, we have every indication in the text that the whole time she's saying this, she's still clinging to her. Verse 18 is Naomi's response when Naomi saw, saw that she was determined to go with her. She said no more. No more objections. No more pushbacks. In some senses, you, you, you get a, 
an idea that Naomi was testing her. Are you really committed to this? Are you really in? And by her silence, she's giving her endorsement. Her welcoming, really. I imagine that perhaps at that moment, you know that nonverbal communication that when you're hugging somebody and there's that extra squeeze at the end. Without any words, so much is communicated. And the two women went off together with Naomi kind of saying to her, I'm convinced, you get it, you're committed, you're not going anywhere, you're in. Welcome to the family. As I said off the top, we're preparing for something here as a church and for you as individuals, God may be preparing you for something in your family or in your life that we just don't know what it is yet. We've really only scratched the surface of Ruth's life here and what her declaration made for her. We've really only talked right up to the moment where she makes the decision to go down the road of devotion to Christ. The rest of the story, again, I would encourage you to read it. She heads off to Israel and she settles in Bethlehem and she meets a nice Jewish boy. And they get married. And they have children. And in one sense, you could look at all of that and say, God blessed her and God vindicated her and it's awesome. Look at the great things that happened because she was radically devoted. That the marriage to, what was his name again? Who'd she marry? The marriage to Boaz. And the having of children was the blessing for the obedience. But you know, it was way more than that. And at the very end of the book of Ruth, we find it out. That Ruth and Boaz had a, had a son and they named him Obed. And long after Boaz and Ruth were off the scene, Obed had a son and uh, he named him Jesse. Jesse had a son. He named him David. He became the king of Israel. Ruth couldn't have known any of that when she stood at that crossroads. She'd have no idea. And listen, church, you have no idea what God has ahead for you. You have no idea what God intends. But I guarantee you this, if you make a decision to be radically devoted to him, it's going to be awesome. Let's pray. Father, hear our prayer. We're a grateful, grateful people. We have heard a clear word again here today. Ruth has spoken through the ages into our lives and given us much to think about and consider and to decide on. And I pray not a person would leave this room. I have faith to believe that we could all make the decision to be radically devoted to you. God, I would pray for any in the room who are not yet followers of Christ that today would be their day to surrender their lives and find the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternity. And that for all of us, God, we would make a decision here today to be radically devoted to you for your glory alone in our lives. Do great things in us, through us, 
Father, we pray and we plead for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.